The Gadget Guy on Cambridge 105 Radio. Hello and uh, welcome to the Gadget Guide, show number 146. And we're going to have a look at the first day of MWC Barcelona 2019. Oh, they've uh, rebranded. Yes, it's no longer called the Mobile World Congress. It's officially MWC Barcelona. And uh, hopefully a chat a bit later to Dr. Ulrich Schneider from the Cavendish Lab about his talk on quantum computers as part of the university's Cambridge Science Festival. Well, it's time to take a look at this week's technology news now, and uh, we'll come to uh, to MWC, the, uh, the the big show for all things mobile, in uh, in a few minutes' time. But but first of all, a, a wider look at the technology news. And uh, the, the challenge was finding stuff that wasn't yes. announced at Mobile World, Co- World Congress everyone or MWC this week. Save, everyone saves up their press releases this time of year and uh, release them at the big events. Because uh, today is just day one of the four day event, so we will actually cover the rest of the uh, announcements at the next Gadget Guide. Uh, but uh, I did a little bit of scouting around, and the, the first one that caught my eye was in the wardrobe department. Okay, so the, this is the uh, the smart wearables now, yes, is it? Yes, and this is Nike's connected shoes. Presumably, this is uh, is fitness tracking or uh, or nope. something like that. Nope. This is the self-lacing shoes that they promised with the advent of, of course, Back to the Future and the date rolling round, and we all promised self-lacing shoes by Now, isn't last self-lacing year? shoes just called Velcro or, like, <laughs> slightly stretchy shoes? No, it is, it is that you put the shoes on and they lace themselves up. Why, why didn't you just not use laces? That, that seems like a much simpler for a Because if you want solution. proper running shoes, you actually do need to tighten them. Oh, right, OK. Yes, anyway. So uh, their self-lacing trainer... Um, runs with an app, yep. as you expect. Now, it has got buttons on it that you can use to adjust the tightness of the laces. <laughs> <laughs> yes. or, or, or pull the ends of the laces. <laughs> no, you can't, you can't, because the laces all lace to a motor underneath. Uh, no, but my, my non-smart trainers, I, I just pull the ends of the laces to adjust the tightness. And you know how to tie your laces. I, I do, yes. Do you? Hang on, let's have yes. a look. Yeah, uh, they're, yeah they're, that, looks, that looks reasonable. Yep. That looks reasonable. Your, your primary teacher would be proud. Um, <laughs> so... Glowing lights, buttons, self-lacing, and an app. Sorry, I can't go out for a run. My my shoes have run down. Uh, You charge them with an inductive charger, so wireless charging. Okay, so I I have to leave my running shoes that I've just been running through muddy puddles on something that's going to to supply power to them. Okay. Yep. (laughs) And uh, apparently some people are finding that their shoes have bricked themselves. The app has had problems and shoes have stopped um, pairing with the app. You know, one people, some people are getting one shoe pairing and they can... <laughs> <laughs> First world problems, this one, I tell you. Um, some people saying that it completely crashes, the app doesn't work. They, they, they're really having problems. And this is the app on iOS as well as on Android. So it's not just one of the platforms, it's everyone is having the problem. Nike apparently have sent out a firmware update. <laughs> yes, please wait, my uh, shoes are updating. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I, I can't walk until my shoes this are finished This is a whole updating. new set of school PE lesson <laughs> excuses here, isn't it? Yes, yeah, I'm sorry, sir, my shoes are still updating. Well, not not only that, but of course, yeah, if you're not allowed mobile phones in school, then, oh, I can't go running, I can't do cross-country this lunchtime because I can't, I can't, <laughs> I can't lace my, my shoes, shoes up. up tighter. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, well, we'll see what they, uh, what they manage to do, but uh, there are quite a lot of people who are unhappy with their 270 quid trainers. And to be fair, as decent trainers go, that's not an outrageous no, it price. D- it is an average sort of price for the top end ones and you know you can spend more than that. 
Right. Well, on to uh, <laughs> yes, unfortunately, to your properly. Nikes have stopped. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, moving on to security, and we we like to talk about security on the Gadget Guide, and and this one's an interesting one, and this is an announcement from the uh, FIDO Alliance and Google on how Android devices can actually make you more secure. Yes. Now this is interesting because Microsoft announced something very similar with uh, with Windows 10. Um, if you're connected as a home user in particular. I've never been able to get that to work. Effectively, <laughs> the, the, the concept here is that for many websites, you can move away from using a password yep. and instead use some kind of securely stored token. Now, yes. this could be something you have on your keyring, uh, which I have, for example. Yeah, I've got those um, as well. YubiKey is, is a very popular one. Exactly, or something built into a, a particularly secure, trusted part of your uh, of your phone. So uh, this this is generally cross platforms. So yep. Apple have got a very secure computing engine in in their phones, and Android have as well. But the Fido Alliance have announced a, a partnership with Google and the Google Play services. Uh, any Android device ver- running version seven or later uh, can be used with the Fido two standard to authenticate websites using your phone's fingerprint or PIN or whatever you use to actually unlock your phone. Which I, I'm sort of I'm I'm on the fence a little bit here because I I love the Fido standard um, and I use it as much as I possibly can with the uh, with the YubiKey as uh, so this is a little device that you plug into your USB port and it's your second factor. Mm-hmm. Um, so you type your password in or get your password manager to uh, to type your password in to start with, and then you also have to tap the button. Yep. Now to me. There's two problems with moving entirely away from passwords. The first of which is that it means you're back to single factor. Um, so uh, you're, it's now no longer something you have and something you know. It's one or the other. Yes. Um, Although if, if you set the requirement that the authentication on the device is biometric... Yes. Then it's a bit more difficult because it's quite difficult to copy that sort of thing with the with the higher end biometrics that are available. You know, you've got to steal someone's finger or eyeball to actually. And and, and this comes on to one of the other problems there, which is, at the moment, if someone mugs me mm-hmm. and says, "Give me your credit card," yeah, I can make that choice. I can give them my credit card. Yep. If that is instead only linked to my fingerprint, and someone wants to steal my money. I can't give them my credit card. You're they chop off finger. my finger. Yeah. Okay, and that's that's a serious concern <laughs> for some for some things. Yes. There's also some slightly more subtle things, uh, mostly for business users, I suspect here, which is that if you are strongly tying that authentication to the local device, as you are with the YubiKey, what happens when you're remotely controlling a device that you're not in front of? And this is a problem that I have with some systems at work, which is that I have two-factor authentication enabled, it's tied to the thing on my keyring. If I'm now working from home and I want to log into, for example, Amazon uh, Amazon's website on my work computer, I can't do that without physically being in front of it. I can. With U2F enabled. It doesn't yep. go through remote desktop. Uh, my So I think it might depend on, on the, the environment you've got set up. Okay. I've, I've managed to make it work. It took a bit of jumping through hoops. Okay. I, so it ca- can be done. Right, I've not seen that happen. Okay, uh, but it, one, it, one of those yeah. is worth reading up on and, and playing with. Yeah, it, but it is it is one to be conscious of. Is can you use this method of authentication in all environments that your user is going to be 
working. And by a similar token, what happens when you drop your mobile phone down the toilet? <laughs> yes. Or or it breaks. Yeah. In other words, a password oh. you can back up, you can uh, you can store in multiple locations, yes. you can share easily across devices, um, you can remember. Something so I'm, I'm just about to, to go phone. through a warranty claim with my phone and it looks like it'll all get sorted out. The manufacturer has been very good, but it means I will be without my 2FA device yes. for a number of days. Yep. Now, okay, a lot of things are secured by my mobile number, so my SIM card will move into another phone, but that doesn't necessarily mean that my biometrics are going to work the same way. I've got to think about that. So I've got to think about how to move all of my credentials to another device to become my authenticator. And it's, it's a fair amount of work. So it is something to think about as you start using another method of authentication instead of a password. Yeah, so I, I think do watch that. Um, in terms of password managers, there, there was some interesting news going around. There, there so was you a, use a password manager? Sorry? You use a password manager? Of course. I use a password manager? Um, and, and we would strongly recommend that. Yes. Um, there was a report released by uh, Independent Security Evaluators, ISC, uh, they published an assessment last week, which basically they'd done some tests, and these were uh, they, these were very uh, very sensible tests to do on a bunch of password managers: Dashlane, One Password, KeePass, LastPass, uh, to basically see how secure they were. Yeah. Um, and the results of this report look quite scary, because what it looks like they they basically said, okay, what we what we expect from a password manager is that when it's not running. You shouldn't mm -hmm. be able to get passwords out of it. Makes sense. Yep. When it's running and unlocked, so you've entered your master password or, or what, what have you, uh, then obviously it's going to be able to give you passwords. We expect that. Yep. When it's running but locked, we don't expect to be able to get passwords. Again, that sounds fair. Yeah. Uh, and what they found was that several of the password managers didn't guarantee that as strongly as they would have liked. So, right. for example, after you press the lock button, if an attacker can then read the entire contents of your computer's memory or your phone or or your phone then they could recover they could still get some of your passwords mm. out and that sounds very scary um and it sort of is but as the uh, one of the folks at uh, one password password points out the risk the the sort of risk model of an attacker who has complete 100% control over your computer some of the time yeah but no control at all over it at another time yeah. is very rare. Yeah. So if they can control your computer totally all of the time, then they can just get your passwords while it's unlocked. Yeah, yeah. And, if, and possibly more than just your passwords and yeah. stuff that might be worth more to you than your passwords. Yeah. So if, it, if the, an attacker has full control, it's game over anyway. Yeah. You can't protect against yeah. that. If they don't have control then at any time, then these threats don't matter because yeah. you can't exploit them. So it's only that very narrow middle ground where they have control some of the time. Yeah. And for most people in most situations, that is a very small set of, set of circumstances. So and it, it comes down to the regular hygiene of security on the device you're using. Yep. Are you running a good antivirus, even if it's the Windows Standard Defender yep. one or a third-party one? Are you doing things like encrypting your disk of your laptop if you're using a laptop? Don't, I, don't install programs that you don't know where they come from. Yeah. If you're using a mobile device and it has a secure vault to put important things in, are you using that capability so that the phone is encrypting that at a hardware level? Think about these techniques to actually make your data more secure.
Yep, and, and gen- generally be careful about what, yeah. you, what you do on your device, yeah. whatever that might be. Uh, last interesting story, and it's uh, Amazon and what they've been out acquiring over the last few days. They've just announced they've acquired a company called Eero. Oh, okay, what do they do? Eero make, uh, well, they're a venture-backed startup that made mesh Wi-Fi networking systems. Ah, nice. So this will be a competitor for the things like Unify, uh, Ubiquiti's Amplifier system, the yep. Netgear mesh systems. Yep. Uh, uh, Google's T- Wi-Fi. TP-Link have actually got yep. uh, some very interesting so mesh the, devices. The, the big share of the market at the moment is Netgear and Google's Wi-Fi, both of those doing very well as far as mesh. So what mesh Wi-Fi does at home, plug in an access point into your router, plug another one in in another room, the two access points join up and make your Wi-Fi better around the house. Yep. No cabling ha- between them, no power line, Ethernet, nothing like that. They, they use 5 gigahertz bandwidth to link each other and then redistribute the bandwidth because there's plenty of bandwidth at 5 gigahertz and they can then also publish 2.4 gigahertz for your devices on the older older band. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what Amazon do with this. You know, will we suddenly find that your Amazon Echo device becomes a hotspot, becomes an access point? Plays I, in that I can sort imagine role. that because if you have those around the house anyway, then that suddenly okay. means they can talk to each it, other. It, it would be a new version. The current ones can't obviously do that. But you think about the amount of things Amazon are doing wireless based. It is the Echo devices, it is the Ring doorbells, it's all the Ring ecosystem that they're putting in cameras the, and lights and fire, so on. Fire TVs and, fire TVs and, so, and on. so on. Even just Amazon tablets and Kindles. Basically, a whole load of devices that are in your house anyway, powered on all of the time, probably anyway, why not make your home Wi-Fi better with them? So it'd be interesting to see what Amazon do with that and uh, whether it'll make it across to the UK. The Gadget Guy on Cambridge 105 Radio. And we'll be joined in a few minutes' time by uh, Dr Ulrich Schneider from the uh, Cavendish Laboratory. He's, uh, he's joined us here in the studio, so we'll be uh, talking to him in about uh, ooh, 15 minutes or so about quantum computers. That'll be a, a fascinating one to, uh, to find out more about. Uh, in the meantime, let's have a look at what was going on in MWC in Barcelona today. Do you, do you want to look at Samsung stuff first, since they did do theirs before? Oh, I suppose they, they yeah. just about beat them, didn't they? Samsung have, have done this for the last few years. They've had their unwrapped uh, event just before MWC uh, unpacked event this year uh, to show off their latest toys. Surely it should have been the unfolded event. That was, yes, certainly part of it. They did spend 10, 15 minutes showing everyone their folding phone. It's still a concept. It's still a prototype, uh, which is interesting considering some other Asian manufacturers have got things that they were um, just about ready to sell. Now, just on this this folding concept, it is basically, it's, it's one of the clamshells, but it's more like a book, isn't it? Yes. Uh, so the, the fold is kind of down the down the long side of the phone. Yes. And it folds out into something, I would guess, almost square aspect ratio. Yes, it starts to look more like a tablet then. Yes. Yeah, the the sort of the, the kind of the 4x3 that you got on the original iPads and uh, and that sort of thing it looked like. Because you, you've got the very widescreen uh, phone that you're used to nowadays and then this sort of you know larger Double, area it, basically. yes yeah but it's not going to be any bigger for watching films because that's a widescreen source yes so uh, you still have black bars then yes exactly but, but it could <laughs> could be good for things like taking notes i can and imagine gaming, reading emails gaming yeah. Um, and uh, if you've got two, effectively two screens, you could do sort of split-screeny things, possibly. That's true. I yes. mean, Samsung already have that in their 
modified Android as a split screening capability so you can run two applications at once. Yes, I think the fascinating thing there will be the reliability in the, in the long term. You know, you've got mm. something which is an incredibly complex device, this this high definition and screen. You split it in half. And you're literally folding it apart, <laughs> uh, folding it in half all the time. Yes, you do that with a bit of paper and you know what happens to it. it exactly. A, a, do- a dozen times. It, it'll be a, a, an amazing feat of engineering if they can get that like that and staying good for a year, two years before people watch their, uh, that yeah, would look to replace their devices. Yeah. So the Galaxy Fold is still future wear. It's not available yet. There's no details on cost and dates. But what they did show that they were talking about were the new S10 phones. Right. So this is the latest in their flagship range of phones. And of course, they do cover a very large price range in, in the Samsung phone offerings down to the, the A series, which come in at uh, uh, you know, one to 200 pounds, all the way up to the S series, which are very much more, aren't they? Yes. And they so they have three in the range now. The S10, the S10 Plus, and the S10e. Is, is this like the um, the the sort of like the, the iPhone <laughs> X, XS, and XS Max? Well, I was thinking sort of yeah, medium, large, and extra large that you get at fast food restaurants. You don't get small. Uh, it, it does feel a little bit like that with with three different sizes. The E being the budget range. Oh, okay. So, that, so that's it, the small it one. does not have rounded, curved edges. Right. They are squared off. The S10 is effectively the replacement for the S9. That's what we're expecting. expecting, Nice edge-to-edge stuff. S10 Plus is the big one. So it is just maxed out on on size. It is quite a lot bigger. Um, Some of the new tech in them, uh, all of them will be 5G ready. So waiting for the networks to catch up on us again, which is it's not a bad thing. At least if the devices are ready, it makes it a bit easier for the networks to go. We can now support your device. So it will run 4G, obviously, as well. Um, And... Some other interesting things like the fingerprint reader on the S10 and S10 Plus is now in the screen. Ah, so d- there's no visible fingerprint reader. It's, no. it's not the blob, so on, the back blob or, on the back or on the or, home yeah. button or anything like yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, the S10e has it on the power button. You just swipe your finger across the power button yep. as a fingerprint read. Um, so they thought about that, made it a bit more usable. Apparently the camera's a lot nicer. So we're going to have to wait and see what they look like, see what some of the pricing. All of the... Uh, networks are touting pricing already. Yes, and Samsung, it's not coming in cheap, is it? No. Samsung themselves are doing a trade-in program again, uh, up to £200 off. Uh, that is for an S9. S8 is about £150 off the price of the new ones. Yes. So they are, uh, they are doing reasonable trade-ins. In fact, I think you can still get about £100 back off for an S6 even, Okay, if it's in good condition. Um all the details on Samsung's website worth having a look at. They also have their trade-up program running again, so you can actually go for a basically buy your phone on 0% from Samsung over 24 months, and after 12 months you can get the S11. You can get another one if you, re- if you renew that contract. And if your phone is in good condition. So, yeah. And certainly price-wise, you know, it, it is looking for the, for the top-of-the-range model, and, and this has got some amazing specs. This is a terabyte of storage yeah. and 12 gigabytes of RAM. That's yeah. most the, more than most people have in their computers. It's certainly more than most laptops running around these days. It's 1,600 US dollars, so that's over 1,200 pounds yeah. for, for that top-end model, <laughs> a couple, a <laughs> which is also qu- more than most laptops. A couple hundred quid off for your S9. Yeah, uh, you're okay. still in four figures. <laughs> you are. You are. Um, so worth shopping around, having a look at what offers. Uh, they also launched some new wearables, their Galaxy Watch Active and their Galaxy Fit and Fit E and their Galaxy Buds, which are um, straight aimed at Apple's earbuds. I was 
assuming that was going to be the the, the earphones. Yeah. Rechargeable Bluetooth earphones. Uh, very fast pairing, obviously, with Galaxy devices. Yep. Uh, literally a case of uh, you hit the button and they're paired within fractions of a second. So they're talking about making the user experience of using Bluetooth a lot better. Mm, be uh, be interesting to uh, to see where that goes. Um, I think it's got the 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 new watches that got blood pressure monitoring. I think in it, uh, or, it or are they still working on that? It does have blood pressure monitoring, and that that seems like a new one. Stress management. You need are, you a after, are you a customer? <laughs> <laughs> you, you need the stress management after the uh, after the expenditure on the S10, don't you? Uh, something like that. Yes, I can see lots of IT people buying it just for the blood pressure management. The, that, the blood pressure monitoring is an interesting one. That's that's something we've not seen in, in in any of the smartwatches, and it'll be interesting to see how they've done that. Whether yes. it's that um, you know something does inflate and or if it's the bracelet is able yeah. to yeah. We'll, we'll read up on the tech specs as they become more apparent. Yeah. So off to Barcelona. Yes, indeed. MWC 2019 uh, rebrand this year, but uh, in the in the familiar technology hall uh, out in uh, out in Barcelona. So every manufacturer, of course, apart from Samsung, was yep. showing off new phones, and pretty much everyone going, "Here's our 5G offerings." Yes. And this is what we're going to have available. Um, the interesting thing is, so everyone goes, "Well, what would 5G give you?" <laughs> And what was quite interesting was what one of the car manufacturers said, BMW, right. said, well, if you've got 5G in your car, you'll be able to have 4K streaming video to both back seats independently and the passenger. They can all watch their own 4K video streamed over five, <laughs> 5G. Interesting. <laughs> I did, it, so looking that, at that's where they're thinking about that technology supporting users on the go. And I think looking at some of the 5G specs, I think something that it'll also really come into its own at is where you have these very densely populated areas. So if you have things like major arenas, stadia, uh, that sort of thing, even conference centres where at the moment... Even Wi-Fi Wi-Fi falls over, cellular cellular data falls over. Um, Some of the new frequency bands available at 5G let you pack that out much more densely, get a a lot of very short range, talking even one room coverage from from tiny, tiny uh, base stations. But you can pack it in and you can serve thousands of people in a a very physically small area. Yes. could be very good if you imagine some of the events that we have around the city on on Parker's Peace or uh, things like Strawberry Fair or Big Weekend. Actually, through some 5G base stations in, you can cover those very dense event spaces very efficiently in 5G. going to be interesting to see how quickly the networks get that upgrade working. Once there's enough devices available to support it, obviously it's going to improve connectivity for a lot of people. Now, I mentioned um, Samsung not necessarily first with their folding phone, yep. because Huawei was showing off their uh, folding phone, their Huawei Mate, um, and letting people play with it. Oh, interesting. Whereas Samsung were still showing... Sort of on, on, under the sealed glass box that yes. stops you playing with it. So, um, be interesting to see if Huawei get theirs out to market first. Yes, looking at uh, looking at the end of March as a target date, although, yes. of course, uh, that, that, that may slip. They also have the a... Other. Well, you can see who they're targeting when they've called it a mate book. Oh, <laughs> uh, that, that's going to be the uh, the, the Chromebook uh, and, uh, and, and the like uh, and, and the MacBook. And the yeah. MacBooks, yes, um, which looks very much like a MacBook Pro uh, running Windows 10. So some interesting stuff from them. LG showing off some of their latest phones. And now they, they've gone a different method on making bigger screen. You can have an extra screen that you just click on the side. 
Oh, that's interesting. I think it was Motorola did something similar to this a few years back, where they made effectively a docking station for your phone. Yeah. That looked like a laptop. Yeah. So you opened it up, you slot and slotted your phone on the back. You got a keyboard, a trackpad, and a laptop-sized screen. But your phone was still the 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 grunt behind it. Yeah. Um, never really took off. I have to say, I'm not entirely surprised. Well, here's a brand that you probably thought was dead, Nokia. They are back again. <laughs> they, they, they just and sort of go away and then come back and then go back away with again. with a phone that is slightly bonkers. Well, they, they seem to have over-ordered on the cameras, don't they? And, and sort yeah. of throw, well, how many can we fit into one device? That'll it get the boxes on the ship. five cameras on the back of it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Supposedly, this will let you have every depth of field captured of the image and you can adjust it all after the fact and turn your photo into lots of photos by just doing all of that editing after you've taken the so photo. So what, what I find very interesting here is that the mobile phone market is going full on down the lots and lots of cameras yep. and combine it all in software. Yep. Where are the point and shoots and the sort of prosumer pro cameras doing the same? Why aren't we seeing that? Why aren't we seeing point-and-shoot or sort of, you know, crossover cameras with multiple really high-end sensors taking advantage of the the same techniques? Your point-and-shoots tend to have bigger lenses and bigger sensors, so they're going to, by definition, take a better picture anyway. Yeah, but if but if you can if you can get uh, uh, our, our guest might uh, uh, might might have something to uh, to say about that. Good, good evening, <laughs> good evening, evening. Go, go on. Uh, since, since you were looking uh, looking like you were itching to say something, you no doubt know far more about this than uh, than we do. Before we jump into quantum uh, quantum computing, I guess light field photography is a big field, also in professional production. But I think the point is really that if you know what you want to do beforehand. If you have an artistic idea in mind of which picture you want to take, then you just take this one picture and you just carry something around that is much, much less bulky than a professional light field camera would be. Right. Yeah. Okay. So it's, it's the sort of it's the flexibility after the fact, which as a professional photographer, you wouldn't need because you know what you're going for to start with anyway. That's the other point. I guess the other point is also if you cannot get cannot estimate that you will like sell a billion devices mm. then maybe the development cost is also slightly too high for you that's true yes Very you're going true. to sell a million phones or a billion phones anyway Whereas so. point and shoot cameras you're yeah. less likely to yeah um all the other manufacturers doing things uh, htc doing some interesting stuff with an htc a 5g hub so this is going for well dump your broadband provider and just go 5g Yes, and I think that's something that we're going to see increasingly, especially out in rural communities. I think it's going to give a lot of the fixed broadband providers a bit of a headache because it's going to be more cost-effective in a lot of instances to go for a 5G internet connection. Yep, and I'm seeing this even with friends and colleagues. They're moving into a new flat or something around the city. Uh, BT can't install for a month. Virgin Media don't cover it because they've run out of cable. Um, And so, okay... Let's go and get a 4G modem. Yep. And for most people in areas of good coverage, you know what? That does that does pretty well. Yep. Now, moving on from phones, it wasn't all just phones at MWC Barcelona this year. Microsoft was showing off a whole lot of new toys. Right. They were showing off their HoloLens 2. Oh, this is their, their VR headset, isn't yes. it? Or the, is it VR or AR, the it's sort of aug- augmented reality? It is augmented reality. Um, so, well, they're now calling it mixed reality. <laughs> Let's just keep changing the name because it keeps uh, consumers on their toes. Yep. Um, it now has built-in eye tracking technology. Uh, it's lighter. 
and still mainly focused at the enterprise market. So it's not going to be something you're going to necessarily buy as a consumer yet. Microsoft are using this to develop their technology and improve things. The other thing they were showing off was their new Connect device, the Azure Connect. Right. This is all the tech that came in the Xbox, the person tracking technology. Yes. Now in just an Internet of Things device. Or tracking people. So it's going to be interesting to see what that's going to do because they're basically making the sensors available as a package that you can hook up and integrate into your solutions. So whether this is something in your reception area, so as your visitor walks in, it greets them, things like that. You know, all sorts of ways of interacting with computers now suddenly becoming a bit more interesting. Google was showing off some new stuff with Google Assistant integrating better into Android messages where your assistant can sort of listen to your messages and chirp in with comments and help you with things. And um, 5G was being shown everywhere. Like I said, BMW was showing in-dash uh, car 5G connected systems with um, lots of fancy tech. Very good. Well, we'll uh, come back with all of the rest of the, uh, the the MWC action in a couple of weeks' time on the next Gadget Guide. Uh, in the meantime, let's have a quick look at the roads, and then we'll be jo- joining uh, Dr. Ulrich Schneider from the Cavendish Lab to talk about the, his talk on the quantum computers at the Cambridge Science Festival. The Gadget Guide on Cambridge 105 Radio. And joining us now is Dr. Ulrich Schneider from the uh, Cavendish Lab. Good evening, and uh, thanks very much for joining us. Good evening, and thank you for having me. Excellent. Well, uh, you're you're another one of the uh, the fantastic program of speakers for the Cambridge Science Festival, which is coming up soon, increasingly soon, isn't it? It's uh, it's all getting off uh, off to a start in a couple of weeks' time. Indeed, I believe it's happening in the next two or three weeks. Yes. Uh, so, that, uh, if you haven't heard of the uh, the Cambridge Science Festival, it's it's a fantastic program of events. Happens about this time every year, and all of the different university departments. Colleges, colleges yeah. associated institutions um, put on so many events, all open to, to anyone that wants to, to go along to them. Um, uh, and if you want to, to have a look at the sort of thing that is on, go and have a look at their website. Sciencefestival.cam.ac.uk um, But in the meantime, here to tell us all about quantum computers. Uh, Ulrich, thanks, uh, thanks very much. Well, let, let's start off with the obvious. When you say quantum computers... What do you mean by that? Because it's a term that you you sort of hear every now and again, and it's sort of this distant concept. And you know, maybe it's going to change the world, maybe it's not. What what does it actually mean? What does it actually mean? Well, the quantum theory, quantum mechanics, is a different way of seeing the world, and it's the way that's relevant if the world is microscopically small. So, if you talk about it being a single atom. You should not think about being like a little billiard ball that's just running around on its way in a straight line. You should think about something that's more like a wave that's going all possible ways at once. And all of these ways in the end will combine and interfere, as we say, to say where you actually are or not are. Now, th- this, so, is, this is fascinating because a couple of weeks ago, we were speaking about photonics and holograms. And there they say, oh, no, 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 it's, it's definitely a particle. And, and, and this episode, we, we've got the opposite. We've got that it's definitely a wave. <laughs> Never say never. I would say it's um, the dualism of this method is really that both, part, both parts, both aspects are relevant depending on how you look at it. Right. It really right. means that you have this one quantum system and depending on what you probe of it, depending on how you treat it, it will either behave as a wave or behave as a particle. Now, in, in your world, you're mostly sort of talking about this, this wave-like behavior. What, what does that mean differently to how we would normally deal with the world. Yeah, we're normally sort of looking at things that are sort of room size or person size. You're, you're working at a much, much smaller scale. But what, what does that mean for computers? 
What does it mean for computers? Well, it means that instead of having this classical information idea of saying there's a bit which can either be zero or one, mm -hmm. and nothing else, and then I can combine that, I can copy it, I can do many, many things to it. In the quantum world, we have different rules. We play by totally different rules, which means there are things possible that are classically not possible, which makes us much, much more powerful potentially, but it also means it makes some things much, much, much harder. For instance, error correction. If I have a channel where I want to transmit information, classically, I just take the information I have, I copy it a hundred times, send it over a hundred times, and then I compare. And if 90 out of the hundred results are the same, then I say, that's the correct result, all good and fine. And that's actually how our mobile phone network is working. Yep. But if I think of a quantum system, we have something called the no-cloning theorem, which tells me if you have an unknown quantum state, there's no chance of perfectly copying it or cloning it. So you can't do that. You only have one chance of doing it right. So if I was to, th this is sort of similar to me, if I was to post you a letter and Lawrence was to, to get hold of that letter as, as it went through the postal service or an email or whatever, if, if he was to, to look at that, he wouldn't be able to sort of open it, read it, shove it back in the envelope and then send it on to you and it, you would either know that he'd done that or you, you wouldn't get it? That's indeed true and that's actually taking this um, disadvantage, this problem of quantum mechanics for quantum computing and turning it into a strong point by saying let's do quantum communication. Right. So I can send you photons and I can in the end by comparing many many measurements, many many iterations of the same game, I can say oh here there was somebody intercepting my messages and changing them potentially. So it's not a secret anymore. So this card and do something else. So quantum computation, sorry, quantum communication, quantum key cryptography is one way, public key sharing via this method, is one way of sharing keys, building up a private secret, one should say, that you can use later on to communicate. That's different from quantum communication. It's uh, okay. different from computation. Right. So, so we've got these two so linked, but one of them is, is possibly giving us more security. The, mm -hmm. the the quantum communication mm -hmm. um but but quantum computing brings with it these these challenges of of how do you actually make it how do you make it work quantum computing is really a big challenge to make it work we are now really building up the building block so we now know how to like take two of the qubits the quantum representations of a bit or the so this is so your sort of smallest possible bit smallest of possible qubit of information indeed yeah. <laughs> and yeah. you know how to combine them you know how to manipulate a single one you know how to combine two of them and have what we call a two qubit gate and you can now do this with 99.9 percent .9 efficiency so, so this is effectively we're having to relearn how to add numbers together yes indeed it's not just adding it's very different things but we know how to do all of that that we need to do and if we think about two numbers and doing something to them we can do this reasonably well, 99.9% .9 efficiency. Right. The problem is only all of the simple combinations where you just combine a few numbers, you can also do them classically. It only becomes interesting when you have many, many, many numbers and you have to combine them in a myriad ways, one after the other, and then these errors stack up. So if you have 99.9% .9 fidelity of doing the first thing correct, yep. you do a thousand things in a row, you're dead in the water. Right, so it, it, it's sort of pushing that bar higher and higher and higher exactly. until we get to something that's that's actually useful for solving problems that we can't do with my laptop or my phone or something like that at the moment. Absolutely, that's the idea of what people call the quantum advantage or some quantum supremacy saying at some point if you get good enough you can exceed what you can do classically even with the best supercomputers and you can do things that you couldn't imagine doing otherwise. So once we've got past the problems mm -hmm and we have a quantum computer working. What's mm -hmm. it going to do for us that we can't do today? There's good things and not so good things. So the good thing it can do is, for instance, one big optimization problem that we're facing is protein folding. You take like a long string of DNA that tells you that's how will your protein look 
as a string of these uh, amino acids, but how will it fold up in space and which is a function that it can fulfill then? That's a very, very hard problem to do numerically. And presumably massively important in the sort of the medical research field. Absolutely. Yeah, if, Absolutely. if you're looking to, yes. to, to defeat various illnesses, you need to know how to make drugs that interact in the right ways. Absolutely. Another one is quantum chemistry, where we're saying other chemical reactions, for instance, fertilizers. We are using a lot, a lot of energy just to bind nitrogen into fertilizer to give it to our plants. If you could do this in a much, much efficient, more efficient manner, then we could like make huge changes to society. The problem is a little bit with these things is that we need to get to a stage of quantum computer where we are not yet. Mm -hmm. But it's maybe not as hard as some other things that we want to do ultimately in the future because it's ultimately a quantum problem. You're really simulating the world as it really happens and that's rather easy to do in the quantum world. So it's, it's about taking this, this isn't technology then that's going to replace everything that we know about computers at the moment. It's going to, it's going to add to it in, in some specific ways, but the chances are most of the you know, PCs that we have nowadays, we're, we're still going to be using those. Indeed, that's the way it looks like at the moment. So at the moment, we would say that's something that maybe a big research institution wants to have one or wants to have access mm -hmm. to one in order to like do this very So where they'd go and buy a supercomputer super today, they might buy a quantum computer as well. That is indeed the idea. Or rent space on one somewhere. Or rent space on one, indeed. Of course, we also have to say that in the 40s, a lot of people building the first classical computers as we did today, <laughs> they said, said the exactly same the thing. Same. They said, like, there's a world market for five computers, maybe. Yep. Because there's just a few problems what, that we need What the mainframe world thought, yes. Exactly. And now you look at how many places we've got computers, you know, count how many computers in this room. Mm. Um, how many <laughs> you carry around with you every day. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Everyone's got a mobile phone on them. That's a small computer. It's so your, your talk, remind us when, when it is again. Uh, my talk is actually exactly uh, two weeks from today. Right. And it's going to be in Jesus College. Okay. And it's so going to Monday be... Monday the 18th? I believe so. Yep, Monday yes. the 18th of yep. March. Yep. And it's going to be, uh, and it's going to be uh, in the evening. You can see everything on the website. I don't have the details with me. But it's going to be like a bit about an hour where we talk about what is the beginning of quantum mechanics, what is the fundamental principles, and also like end up with what are the exciting possibilities that may come out of this. And, and if someone wants to come along, what, what, should, they, what should they expect to, to need to know before they come to the, the, the talk? Essentially nothing. It will help if they've ever been on a boat and have seen the waves behind the boat so they know what a wave is. But essentially nothing. This is really for everybody. It's not for the specialist. Sounds fantastic. Lovely. Well, thank you so much for for joining us here on the Gadget Go uh, show and uh, enjoy the uh, the talk. Go along if you can and uh, look forward to, uh, to hearing all about quantum computers. Fascinating stuff. Quantum computing is certainly interesting to hear from Ulrich about that. Limited tickets on the door. Have a look at the website if you are interested in going along. Um, we'll be back on the 11th of March, probably looking at all of the rest of the stuff from the next three days of the MWC Barcelona 2019 and if any other interesting tech news comes out over the next couple of weeks.